So thanks for those testimonies. We'll open up our Bible, as promised, to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. So um, just to make it clear, Genesis chapter 1 is the what's known as the creation story. Um, in six days, God created uh, everything, uh, light, the moon, the stars, the earth, uh, trees, um, animals. And then on the sixth day, it clearly says he created mankind on the sixth day. And then all of that effort, he had a break. On the seventh day, he had a rest. After all of that, we get to chapter 2. So prior to chapter 2, there were people on the earth. Adam and Eve were not the first people on the planet. Um, They were people that were um, chosen by God for a one-on-one relationship with. And we'll read it in uh, Genesis chapter 2. And verse 7, and it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay, so this is a separate story to day six in chapter one. And this is the Garden of Eden, and that man was a bloke called Adam. And uh, then we go down to verse 15. So Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So this here as well is a separate thing where, okay, he sees this bloke called Adam, which he's formed from the ground, he's alone. He needs something to help him with. And so first of all, he forms all these animals and birds and things, beasts of the field as well, to be a helpmeet for Adam, okay? Um, And then at verse 20, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, the fowl of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. So this here, I used to think God made a mistake. Oh, okay, he needs some help, so I'll give all these animals for him. And oops-a-daisy, there's no helpmeet amongst the animals for Adam. No, God's trying to prove a point here, okay? He's trying to prove a point for all of us that animals do not meet our needs. Okay? Uh, We read on to our verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, he shall be co- she sorry shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and that shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So, God's proving a point here that it was the woman that was his help meet. 
and that's today. You know, like uh, we love our pets, you know, we uh, look after our pets, but they will not be a sufficient helpmeet. Um, it says that uh, the woman was created for the man, uh, but what it is, it shows, is that in a woman is just exactly what a bloke needs as a helpmeet. And vice versa, because the woman... What's so funny? No? Oh, right, okay. And then flip it the other way, that uh, because the woman was created for the man, then the man is the exact helpmeet for the woman. You know, it's the same. You need each other, not animals. The animals will not uh, satiate that. And also here it says that uh, in verse 25, they're both naked. They weren't ashamed that uh, their flesh was open to God. You know, that um, in other words, there was no sin for him to see. Um, they were pure. And this here, as they walk about in the Garden of Eden, and this comes to the title of the talk, which Andy's hanging out for, fairy tale. Okay, this is a fairy tale, right? Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden, being there with God, um, no sin in the way. It's a fairy tale, okay? And we'll read a story in the Bible as well, but sin and Today, people want to relive a fairy tale. So we'll get to um, chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And again, that's wrong. Uh, he only said you can't eat of the fruit. They could have built a cubby house in it if they wanted to. So they could have touched it, just not to eat of the fruit. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth, doth <laughs> know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So I guess up to that point, they only knew good. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, this here, there's a lot you can look into it, and, uh, but it's almost as if Adam had this relationship with God and then came Eve. It's almost as if Adam didn't fully explain to Eve what was required. She got it wrong. She got it all muddled up. So he didn't fully explain to Eve uh, what uh, God's commandments were. Also, yes, contrarywise, that Eve didn't follow them and went on her own way. But they were both at fault. Um, verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply those, thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, 
Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life, to secure it away from people. And it says elsewhere that uh, when we're raised up, we'll uh, be, uh, be able to partake of that tree of life. So this story is a well-known story. And so Genesis chapter 3 says that that fairy tale was taken away. People no longer were living a fairy tale. Um, life now, as I had discussions with someone a little while ago, and they said, look, now life is not easy. It's, uh, and this, from this point on, life is not easy. Um, people want an easy life. It's, um, I believe, deep down, we want to live that fairy tale. We've lost it, so we want to try and go back and live the fairy tale. But because of these curses that God put on woman and man, life is not easy. Um, I mean, like you look at verse 16, the curse on the woman was to multiply thy sorrow in thy conception. One, sorrow in bringing forth children. Your desire will be to your husband and he shall rule over thee. Um, it's quite a curse. Um, and yeah, it is. It's quite a curse. And look, I've just got some notes here. I was just thinking about it. Like for like women in themselves, people in themselves, but we're talking about ladies at this point, you know, compared to their husband, they can think that they are more organised, uh, they think quicker, uh, make better decisions, uh, do multiple things at once, more sensible, more creative. You know, like these are things that we know of and... Um, and God's created people like that. And then that sorrow in thy conception, the sorrow to bring forth children, it's like this humbling thing. And, uh, and then to realise, oh my goodness, the Bible says thy desire shall be to thy husband, but my husband has all these shortcomings. <laughs> so you realise your weakness, don't you? You realise your weakness. And that's what God's doing here. It's like, wait a minute, woman, uh, or Eve, you know, or ladies, women, realise your weakness. And when you realise your weakness, you seek God, right? That's the point he's making. Now, look at men. Oh, my goodness, we have to work for the rest of our life. 
And not only that, we put our work in and there's weeds, there's things that break, things that fall to pieces. We've got to get up early, spend all day at work. We're tired, zonk out, fast asleep. We're tired after a day of work and think, oh my goodness, I've got to do this for the rest of my life. And not only that, my family relies on me. The same thing, you realise your weakness. The same thing, this curse that God's put on man is that you realise your weakness. And what do you do when you realise your weakness? You seek the Lord for help. And the Lord is gracious and has a way to help. I mean, even here, it says in verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So Adam and Eve knew they were naked. They fell from the grace of God, but God still helped them, helped them to cover up and made them clothes. And uh, um, yes, and that's the other note I've got here. Like when we realise our weakness, uh, we call unto God and he helps us. But an important thing for all of us to remember is that we are to actually submit to the curses, both man and woman. Look, it's the curse that's been put on mankind because Adam and Eve did what they did and not fight them, okay? Because uh, if we submit to it, uh, the Lord will help us. The Lord finds a way to help us, and uh, as we see in testimony and all those things. Over to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. So I guess the extension of the title fairy tale is that life was never meant to be easy. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 12. So Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 12. And it says here, Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. So if you submit to him, to the Lord, and uh, not fight his ordinances, um, if you do that, it says in verse 13, and he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb. Okay, that was one of the curses, you know, um, Sorrow in childbirth, the Lord will bless it. And the fruit of the land, that was the other curse. He'll take the weeds away. You'll, uh, you'll have food to feed your family. Thy corn and thy wine, thine oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep and the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. So the Lord will bless those that hearken to his judgment, follow his commandments, uh, and he'll uh, reciprocate with this covenant, this promise, this deal, that he'll love us, bless us, and help us under this uh, curse, this curse of Adam that we live under as we live here on earth. He'll help us. Um, Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Now, there, is, uh, well, there are consequences to these curses, but 
We'll go to Proverbs chapter 6. Oops, Proverbs chapter 6. We'll read two of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. It says here, Advice, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Now, I'm reading that is like we want to live the fairy tale. We want to be dancing around in, in Eden, one-on-one relationship, doing nothing, you know, eating, just eating the fruit of the trees, not having to till. We want that fairy tale. But now it says here, go to the ant, thou sluggard. You have to do stuff. You have to do stuff for the Lord to bless. And he's using the ant as an example. Um, they are busy about when the sun's shining, collecting food, putting stores ahead, you know, uh, underground, so that when they can't do that, there is a, uh, like a barn full of food. Um, and the ant goes about those things, preparing for a time when they can't run around and do things. Go to um, chapter 20 and verse 4. Chapter 20. This uses the word sluggard as well, so an extension of that. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. And it says, The sluggard, who does not look to the ant, will not plough by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. So the Lord's saying, this is advice in the Bible, the same Bible that we read uh, in Genesis chapter 2, advice that we need to be busy about stuff. Life was never meant to be easy. Um, we all want to sit around and be a sluggard. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Just sleep. I mean, it's wonderful. Uh, we are human beings. We pine for that fairy tale. But the Lord needs us to be busy. That is a curse, right? When you... When you think about it, and I'll bring out another scripture, those curses on man and woman make us that we must be busy doing things. And God, in his way, helps us. He puts a desire in us to be busy, to, to do things, to see things happen, to achieve things. Uh, we get satisfaction from that. And especially when we follow his commandments and he helps and we see great fruit from what we do. There's that whole other element. Uh, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So there's a great scripture in uh, Acts that, um, where Paul was kicking against the pricks. Like ah, We can often kick against the pricks when it comes to doing stuff. There's always something to do. I used to complain about that. Lord, why is there always something to do? Well, it's the way it is. Life's not meant to be easy. It's the way it is. There's always stuff to do. Uh, and most of the stuff you have to do is for others as well. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7. This is a New Testament. This is after Jesus was crucified and rose again and the Holy Spirit poured out in this church in Thessalonica. And it's Paul writing here, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 7, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labour and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Now, Paul was busy about uh, not to be a burden, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an 
an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Right? So that's the curse to, that we must work. Um, but then if you don't work, you don't eat. It's a simple equation. Verse 11, for we bear, well, sorry, for we hear that they're there, they're, sorry, I'll start again. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Okay, and that, there'll be a reference to that uh, later. Verse 12, now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. So just keep doing it. Keep doing these things, helping others. Um, you know, if you want to eat, you work, and be not busy bodies. You just keep going. Be not weary in well-doing. Do not get uh, weary of it. You get up in the morning and you do it again. Um, 1 Timothy Chapter 2. So the Lord still calls us to be busy. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And here's a peculiar verse here. But in the context of what I've read so far, it says, Notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. How bizarre, eh? It says here that a woman is saved in childbearing. Now, think about it in the context of what I'm saying. When a mother has children, she's busy. She's doing stuff. Her whole uh, mindset is focused on her children how they're going, like consciously wondering how they're going and being careful that they are brought up um, in, in the ways of the Lord and brought up healthy. So she's busy, she's working. And uh, so, yes, the, the, it says in uh, Genesis chapter 2, that 3, that um, the man with the curse will have to work with the sweat of his brow, but also as a consequence of that, this whole childbearing thing and that... Uh, There's that working of the mother as well, being busy. And when she's busy like that, she doesn't have time to be a busybody, as we read in the uh, the previous uh, passage in Thessalonians. So if you don't have children, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. You will still be saved. It's just there's that extra effort required not to be a busybody, the extra effort required to keep yourself busy, you know, doing things and doing things for others. It can often free you up to do more for others if you don't have children. Uh, But the Lord needs us to be engaged. Genesis chapter 11. So we go back to uh, Genesis and there's this peculiar story. Genesis chapter 11. Verse 1. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, and had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, 
let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach to heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So here, well, these people, just after the flood, they decided, right, I want to build a tower up to heaven. In other words, get close to God. It's like they want, they're putting all this effort in to relive that fairy tale. The Garden of Eden fairy tale. And people are still the same today. You know, we put a lot of effort in to relive the fairy tale. But what happened when they tried that? They put all their energy into building great things here on earth, which will disappear. They put all that effort in and the Lord scattered them and confound their efforts. That's not where our efforts belong. Um, So yes, we must be busy about things and doing things. It's good for us as human beings. But we have to know where to be busy at. So if we're busy at uh, building our own towers and uh, in our own strength, you know, trying to relive the fairy tale of uh, just just doing nothing, you know, and uh, we hear stories of super rich people who have so much money they don't have to do anything. There's about three of them on the planet. Um, everyone else has to be busy about doing things and you, you put your energy in to where it matters. Um, so uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This here... Uh, was a scripture that was read out last Sunday and um, Ali and I were talking about it during the week but it was also a scripture that was read out at Nanga Camp too. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, there's a bit of pressure on. Maybe I've got to read it out too. So uh, I'm feeling the pressure. So here it is, John chapter 6. We'll get to it. It's not the first passage. It's uh, one I'll highlight later. But as an introduction here in John chapter 6, we start in verse 10. And it says, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down, or the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So it's a large open area. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. There's quite a few people uh, that sat down. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Excuse me. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. So this amazing thing from uh, five loaves and uh, two small fishes, he fed 5,000 people. Um, And then it says clearly in verse 12, when they were filled. So they'd all eaten enough. They were filled uh, from uh, this provision. And we go to verse 22. John chapter 6 and verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, 
and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit, there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. So referring back to that instance we've already read, verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? They had this desire to follow him. They jumped in boats. or Initially they were confused. Where's he gone? Where is this Jesus person? I want to know where he is. I want to follow Jesus. And they, when they jumped in the boats, they sailed across the lake and they found him and they said, Jesus, when did you come here? You know, we want to follow you wherever you are. It seems like a great desire. These people want to follow Jesus. But then Jesus says something peculiar in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, and they put a lot of energy in seeking him, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You're just driven by your stomach. You know, you're tired of cooking your own meals and you want to hang off my coats and be fed food, right? And Jesus is saying, that's why you're following me, is for the food. And don't get me wrong, you all know me quite well. Uh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Um, I love my food and a lot of people love their food. But Jesus is saying, look, that's why you're following me. But then he goes on and it says in verse 27, that word labour. You know, we've been talking about work, being busy, labouring. Jesus is saying, look, now I want you to labour this way. Labour not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. That's where our effort lies. The, uh, the meat that endures to everlasting life, the treasure in heaven. That's where we grow and we learn things. Instead of uh, putting all our effort and all our focus and all our priorities in things that will stay here on earth. Um, we all need things on earth. We need food. We need a house. We need stuff. But what the Lord's saying is our priority is to labour for the meat, food, that endures to everlasting life. The Holy Spirit, the Word, these are what endure our work in the Lord, our work uh, for the Lord. That's what endures, that's what helps us and builds us up. And then, I'm not going to go there, but in, then in Matthew 6, as you know, I love that passage. He says that he will provide, he will bless, he will give this food that perishes for us to live here on earth, a blessed life. You know, he'll give us these, uh, these loaves and be filled if we have our priorities right, our focus, our energies are in this place. Over to chapter 9. Chapter 9. And this passage came directly out of someone asking a question or verse. John chapter 9. There's a few ways you can look at this verse, but uh, John chapter 9 and verse 4, it says, Jesus is speaking. 
I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus there on the surface is um, referring to the fact that, look, at the moment Jesus can walk freely on earth, preaching the kingdom of God, being busy about what God wants him to do because it's day, but it will come a point where he won't be able to walk freely on the earth. He'll be stuck to a cross. That is night, okay? And figuratively, there was an eclipse and the darkness covered the whole earth. So he was busy about doing the works of the Lord, him that sent me, while he could, okay? And uh, there will come a time when we also can't do stuff. It happens. There is a, an end point. And there's all sorts of things that stop us from doing things. I mean, it could be death itself. It could be um, constraints around us, within us, that stop us from doing things. So what Jesus is saying here is, look, while we can do the works of him that sent us, then we do it, knowing that it will stop one day. Uh, The Lord wants us to be busy um, while we can be busy. Um, How are we going? Yeah, let's go to the penultimate scripture, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 26. So James chapter 1 and verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. It's just not worth it. But here it goes, verse 27, pure religion. This was also read out last Sunday. Pure religion and undefiled Before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's pure religion. That's the stuff we need to be busy about doing. Uh, Visiting the fatherless and the widows, they're the weak, the people that have no support, really. Uh, And so we, as a spirit-filled church, we rally around the weak and those that have no support in the church. And also what we're busy about is keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. That's a full-time job. (laughs) That's a full-time job being unspotted from the world. Um, And that's a lot of effort required there. That is pure religion. Now, we at the Revival Fellowship, we don't uh, get involved with charity because it's a full-time job, us being charitable to the fatherless and widows within our church, our spirit-filled church. Um, That is where our focus is. We don't bother about, um, and it's horrible, the the things that happen around the world where people are in desperate need. We put our priorities right and focus on those that are in need within the church, spirit-filled, baptised by full immersion, walking on in truth as part of uh, the assembly. That's the pure religion. Um, finish up on 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, and it's good to be busy about these things. I remember um, I went to leadership camp a few years ago, and in Adelaide, they've got plenty of resources there, and they are so well organised that this couple uh, was organised to pick me up from the airport and take me down to Karakalinga camp. I can't remember how far away it is, an hour, I guess. And along the way, you know, I offered them uh, some fuel money and their response was, no, please don't take away my blessing, okay? They knew that when you're busy about the Lord's work, he'll bless you another way. You know, they didn't need the money on the surface. They had enough and so, look, no, you keep it. I want the blessing. I'm doing this. Uh, I'm busy about the Lord's work and I'll look forward to the blessing. Um, so it's good mentality. Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So that takes effort as well, putting things into practice. And here it goes in verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And I just love the um, uh, image that I uh, create in this passage. It's like Paul, he's an old man now. He's been busy about, as we read uh, to, in his um, writings to Thessalonica, he was busy about doing the work of the Lord. As we know, uh, amazing traveller, uh, encouraging and building up the saints. And, uh, and he's old now and uh, he can't do that anymore. And he goes, look, I'm looking back on my life and I'm happy. I've fought the good fight. I did the best I could. That's all the Lord wants us to do is do the best we can. And uh, as a result of that, uh, he's looking forward to being raised up and, uh, and being with the Lord from there. Now, when I read this passage, I also think of quite an elderly lady that I met when I was a child. And um, she, being that old, um, was a pioneer in, in northern South Australia. And it's rather remote in northern South Australia and rather barren and she was only a young lady uh, who had a husband who was away always. Just think of a poem, of course, that uh, Henry Lawson wrote. Her husband away always working uh, in this shack thing and she had to carry water from the creek or the well and um, cook with um, wood that she had to chop and she's so hard work. And then while she's doing all that, she's got a baby in one hand and she's trying to do just hard work. And I remember looking at her thinking, my goodness, she must be bitter, you know, having to lead a life like that. But no, she was like this. I fought a good fight. She's so, so calm and gentle. Ah, oh, I just had a good life, you know. And, and that's what we are. When we're busy about doing things, submitting to the curses, not fighting them, but praying to the Lord that he helps us, we've fought a good fight. I've um, finished my course. I did the best I could. 
and then we look forward to uh, what the Lord can offer us. And so it's good for us in the flesh to be busy about the Lord's work, uh, that pure religion, uh, visiting the fatherless and the widows, being unspotted from the world. It's good for us to do that uh, in our body uh, and our mind. It's what the Lord's asked us to do, and the Lord helps us, as he always has. Even when uh, his chosen people Israel annoyed him so much that he had to delay them going to the promised land for 40 years, he somehow made it so their shoes wouldn't wear out and their clothes wouldn't wear out. He helped them, even though they were annoying. So the Lord will help us as well if we follow his ways. Okay, thank you.